Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, uh, yeah, it's been a while. It's been since the last year. <laughs> um, but yet everything's changed, but nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. Right. Things got worse. Things. Yeah. I think things are worse. I yeah. Think things are definitely worse. Bob Saget died. Yeah. 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 This episode is dedicated to Bob Saget. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad we still got that fire. <laughs> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer, writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Ben Winters. Ben is the author of the novels The Quiet Boy and Golden State, the New York Times bestselling Underground Airlines, The Last Policeman and its two sequels, the horror novel Bedbugs, and several works for young readers. His first novel, Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, was also a Times bestseller. Ben has won the Edgar Award for Mystery Writing, the Philip K. Dick Award in Science Fiction, the Sidewise Award for Alternate History, and France's Grand Prix... (laughs) De l'imaginaire. His writing has appeared in Slate and in the New York Times Book Review. He also writes for film and television and was a producer on the Fox show Legion. He lives in LA with his family. Welcome, Ben. Okay. Thank you very much. This I don't is... really write for film. That's that is an exaggeration. I mean, I wrote it. I wrote my bio. I write for television, but I don't know why I said that. I think it's just like a set phrase, film and television. But I've yeah, never, and I've you never know, good, yeah. projecting uh, but... into the universe. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's only Amanda. a good thing. I should also put in there, he's a Michelin starred chef and just sort of see what happens. If people <gasps> just read that and move on, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm wow. I'm not. Oh, barely, but you will be. Egg. No, never. <laughs> not even on the list. <laughs> in the Thank apocalypse, you. you'll be like the best chef. Totally, totally. Oh, and then who will yeah. know? Who will know? There'll be no Michelin stars ever in the end. <laughs> just tires. That's right. Just tires. Exactly. <laughs> fires being made in them for warmth. Great. We're off to a great start. I don't even know how to make a tire fire, so I'll be dead immediately. Oh, no. It seems like a thing that if you either know how to do it or you don't know how to do it, and I don't. So no, no, no. It's been it's been nice, everyone. Um, what are you gonna read to us? Well, um, 
just given the nature of the show that I know sort of intersects with with the um, parenting a little bit and sort of the fact of being a writer and also a, a human, I, I wanted to read a little something about, I don't know, I, I, this is sort of, a, I just like this part, basically. <laughs> so I'm trying to, I'm trying to, <laughs> this is uh, just a little bit from The Quiet Boy, um, which is my most recent novel. And the one that um, in a way, not even in a way, in reality, most sort of reflects my experience as a parent, which is something that hasn't really come into my work as a writer in any serious way until this book. Um, wow. And uh, and so this is just a section here where, so Shank is, well, the two heroes of the book are Shank and his son, Ruben. And um, in this scene, there's two timelines in the book. There's a past and a present. In this scene, it's in the past. And Shank is um, in his early forties and Ruben, his kid is like 14. Um, and in the moment we're about to see, Shank has been wrapped up in his work as he pretty much always is. And he sees his kid um, and and, sort of tries to understand him as he's always trying to do. Hey, dad. Shank pulled himself up from the floor and saw Reuben looking down at him from the top of the steps with a troubled expression. He was seized as he often was at such moments by a love for his child that was so strong, it was almost like fear or grief. A clutch of feeling that made him rise shakily to his feet, reach to steady himself on the kitchen table and put his other hand over his heart. What is it, my love? It's, um... It's Reuben trailed off and Shank knew what he would say next. Are you okay? What are you working on? Nothing, nothing. Ruby, come here. Come on. Reuben was worried about something. With Reuben, it was always something. That dual nature of his only child pierced him as it always did. <laughs> Reuben, good natured and considerate, but always with the dark flush of worry on his cheeks. Jay wished as he had wished many times that the kid would find more to love in the world and less to be anxious about. Jank had always thought that his son was too serious a soul. Sorry, my dog is sick. Jay had always thought that his son was too serious a soul. He liked that the kid took things seriously. He was proud of it, and he encouraged it. But there was a tentative, tentativeness and a cautiousness to Reuben that Shank had devoted some portion of his own boundless energy to correcting, teasing him, needling him, grabbing at him, and pulling him forward toward life's endless churn. If only he could give the kid some portion of the joy with which he naturally overflowed. If only that was how parenting worked, that you could slice off some portion of yourself, some quality, and simply graft it onto the child, build him out of your own spare parts. Instead, you could only lead and hope they come along after you, give and hope they take, stand there holding your sign like a livery driver at the airport and hope they follow. Reuben sat down reluctantly across from his dad at the kitchen table and got to work on the loose corner thread of a placemat. I seriously don't want to bother you. I'm seriously not bothered. Shank squeezed Reuben on the shoulder. I live to serve. Reuben paused. The clock ticked loudly above the sink. Shank had his hand laid flat on the sheaf of stapled documents he'd found, keeping them warm until he could dive back in. It's, uh, Reuben looked away and then back. It's that girl. And Shank, wise and perceptive as he was, probably should have known or guessed that Reuben was lying. He'd actually been lying for a good long time now. Um, uh, but we see what we want to see. I skipped a little bit. But we see what we want to see, even or maybe especially those of us who were like Shank. Uh-oh, he said, and tilted back on the feet of his chair and smiled. Trouble in paradise. And so they got into it. Reuben, having decided he didn't want to burden or confuse his father with the real source of his anxiety, 
instead offered the details of a teenager's a teenage lover's quarrel he'd gleaned from books and TV shows. Schenk offering nuggets of kind but wrote parental advice, his mind mostly consumed with his strategy that he was suddenly sure would salvage his case. Hey, Romeo, said Schenk in conclusion. I love you. And then Reuben from the stairs, faintly and maybe not even heard by Jay, who was already reading his papers, back to work. I love you too, Dad. Ben, I was so interested to hear that this was maybe the first book you felt where you really kind of pulled in maybe a little bit of your own experience as a parent or maybe a lot more of your life than in previous books. Or I just was curious, your trajectory as a writer is so interesting. If you, if you look book by book, I was curious at what kind of brought you to writing The Quiet Boy and then definitely want to hear more about just your overall trajectory. Cause it's, it's fascinating when you look book by book, what you've done. Yeah, it's weird. Thank you very much. I mean, it's fascinating. It's like, um, the funny thing about, and you guys know this, having talked to so many writers about process and about like the progression of careers, like the, the, there just is no one way to do it. Right. Like, right. Um, there, there, I mean, there is, there's a sort of predictable traditional path of getting an MFA. Right. And then you, you, you know, you publish, you publish a book of stories and then a novel, you know what I mean? Like that's the sort of, sure. and I think it, that's m- more rare probably than, than, uh, then it, what's the word? Like, it's like, that's, that's the exception rather than the rule, probably, although it's the way people think about being a writer. Um, I think, you know, for me, it started almost my career as a fiction writer per se started pretty randomly that I, I was really wanted to be a playwright, um, originally and, um, sort of bounced around in that. And that's hard, obviously. And, um, but just by, by sort of pure coincidence, uh, we were living in Philadelphia for a year, um, my wife and I, and uh, it, because she was clerking for a judge because of her her career trajectory. And so uh, we moved to Philly for a year and I really just randomly met a Cork Books, which is based in Philadelphia. They're uh, the, an independent press. Um, and I just, I, I had some ideas for fiction stuff. I, and they were looking for someone to write some nonfiction stuff. And like, we just, you know, formed a relationship. I just pitched them some stuff and like, it didn't work out. And then they came to me with some other stuff, like whatever, it was one of those things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that ended with me writing this book, Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, yeah. basically, which they had already had a hit with a book called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Mm-hmm. Right. They had they had come up with this idea and they had found a writer to do it. And it was a huge like one of these things where it's like nobody saw it coming. You know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. the, 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 the cover was on the Internet and people just went bonkers for it, you know. And so I was just it was really very much a, a right place at the right time kind of thing. Um, that they needed someone to write a follow-up to that book. And they, and they were like, who can we get to do it pretty fast, pretty cheap, who will do a fine job? I'm like, what about Ben? You know, it was that. And, I was like, <laughs> and so Jason- God, that's Kula, wild. Yeah, yeah, right? And, but it's the thing where like, you can, there's a part of me that, you know, you want to say, well, I was really just lucky and I was, but at the same time, and this is the lesson I always try to draw from it, uh, and to tell people, it's like, you have to be ready to, to mm-hmm. when you get those random opportunities. I could have easily been like, oh, no, I don't think I can do that. Or no, I'm not sure that's the kind of writer I want to be. Or no, you know, it's not enough money or I'm scared. You know what I mean? Or like, what if I screwed up? Instead, I was like, all right, let's give it a whirl. You know what I mean? And they were kind of like, well, we'll pay you this much. I was like, I don't care how much you pay me. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it, it was like, it was an opportunity. I recognized it as an opportunity. 
And I, although it was very much a silly random thing that was going to live or die based on factors outside my control, probably I put my all into it, you know? And I wrote something that even now I look back and I'm like, that's pretty funny. Like that works. I am pleased with that product. You know what I mean? Even though I never would have woken up on any given morning at that time or now and be like, this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? I want to write parody fiction. I, I did whatever. So that was a great opportunity that I, and because of where it was in the culture at that time, because zombies had been a huge hit because it was poised, that book went to the New York Times bestseller list. Right. So I was like, Oh, well, being a novelist is pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. This is, you know, because, you know, my career is a, a playwright and lyricist, like that was like, you know, you're scratching along. So all of a sudden I had this thing. I was like, oh, wow. And, uh, and also I loved it. I loved the experience. I loved the people. I loved the feeling of writing. Um, and also at that time, and this goes back to your sort of the, the main sort of the way you think about the world. Like at that time I had a young family. We were, just, you know, I, we had one kid and Diana was pregnant with our second kid and being in theater although I loved that very much too, was increasingly difficult because it's all nights and weekends. You know what I mean? And it's also like, unfortunately, it's not particularly remunerative unless you're at the very, very top. So anyway, this was a way to, to build a life that was still creatively satisfying, really satisfying, and also I could do. Um, and so anyway, that sort of led to other books for Cork, which ultimately I pitched them on this detective novel, The Last Policeman, which is where I think my career in terms of like, oh, the kinds of books I really want to do, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, that the kind of books that came from me as an artist, as opposed to being like something that they, in their kind of quirkiness, were looking for and assigning. That's where my career really started. Um, and so, yeah, but all that stuff is a long way of saying none of those works, including a policeman series, uh, and then my subsequent novels for Mulholland, Little Brown, like none of them really were about me or came from a place of like my personal experience really until The Quiet Boy, which I think is the first thing that has, a, you know, a father-child relationship at the center of it and, a, you know, parent-child relationships. And, you know, the Jewishness is a big part of it and music, which is also part of my life. So all that stuff, I don't know, at some point it was like, okay, maybe I'm old enough and maybe I'm good enough and confident enough now to kind of let those layers peel away a little. Because mm. I think uh, it's easier emotionally, I think, to write from a place of just like, well, I'm just going to come up with some crazy stuff, but it's not really going to be me, you know, <laughs> writing. Sorry, Kurt, y'all keep right. Now I'm just petting him to keep him quiet. It's a- I loved uh, I loved so much of what you were just saying, Ben, because there's a million follow-up questions, I'm sure Lindsay and I both want to ask. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that you just said that was so interesting to me was not, you know, we definitely, we all have kind of this image of like what the ideal path would be, or even if we don't have a sense of the path, maybe like, I want to be this type of writer. And you kind of said that, you know, you don't think like, oh, I'm not going to be the type of writer who's going to do X or Y or whatever. But what I love about your, your answer was just, there were so many things that you said yes to, and that you put your all into that led you to this book. <laughs> and this book is so clearly uh, just a, a whole, a fully realized type of type of project. And it's the kind of thing where if you were to, if you were to show me the the other books, if you were to, if I was to look at the chronology of your books backwards, I would have said, holy shit, really? In, in, a, <laughs> in, in a great way, in a great way, because it's like, you would think that, you know, you've been writing this kind of wonderful lit fiction with, with a kind of somewhat subtle genre bent the whole time. And that's, and it's not been the case. And I don't know. I just love that about, 
you really embody in a great way. Uh, there's a million different ways to do this thing and end up with pretty special books. Thank yeah, you so I, I, I remember it. that was like the top advice that I took from grad school was like, say yes, like yeah. say yes, because you just never know like what could happen. Um, yep. And I'm just yep. wondering, like you, you wanted to be a playwright before that. Um, and then you had this opportunity to write a novel. Did you sort of teach yourself how to write a novel by sort of like reworking this classic novel to include yeah. sea monsters? Is that kind of how you learned like the format of it? Such a great, it's such a good question. Cause like, it's like, yeah, how do you learn how to write a book? And right. what's funny is that, you know, even now I'm writing a book, I'm writing a book every day. It's like, I still don't know how to do it. Nobody knows. Totally. Yeah. It's, impo- it's actually impossible. There's, it's, there's no way to write a book, but um, nobody's ever written a book in ever. <laughs> I agree. Isn't it funny though? Like every time you start, you're like, I don't know how to do this. I'm no. Really- and, um, but yes, I mean, I think, you know, I think probably like most writers, I'm a great reader. You know, I love to read and I've always been a great reader. And I think that you, whether or not you are planning to be a writer, when you're reading, you are intuiting a lot about what writers do and how it works, right? Like you're, you know, in your bones, you know, what makes an interesting plot moment because you've read so many great plot moments and gone, oh my God, like you've had that feeling of like something really interesting just happened. Or like this sort of subtle movement of a character, like you recognize it even if you're not the kind of person who's like making notes in the margin with a pen, you're feeling it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it was more of just, but yeah, when I was writing Sense, Sense, Obedient, Sea Monsters, and then later I did write Android Karenina, my second mashup novel, like this is, these are masters, right? Which like, you know, Austin was like, she was an extraordinary genius. Like that book is incredible. And by the yeah. way, that's her, that Sense, Sensibility was her first novel, which like, whoa, if I had to, you know, in terms of debuts, like, holy crap. You know, like uh, the other one is uh, Patricia Highsmith, Strangers on a Train. Like, can you mm. believe that? Like you, you read that and you're like, I cannot believe someone just figured this out. But anyway, um, so yes, I basically, the, the way that that process worked of writing the goofy version was to take the original and and put everything on index cards and map out the stories, the parallel mm. stories of the two sisters and like the impending sense of danger and like realizing, you know, the truths under the surface so that I could then make a big goofy silly version of it so yeah i learned a ton from right from doing that it's almost like well you know how do you learn to write well what you should do is get assigned to write a nonsense version of a classic book (laughs) it's so it's so specific and the other thing that's funny is that for a long long time for like for years um my day job i made a living um doing transcription i worked for nonfiction writers and then for um for like television production companies typing up uh interviews I did a long time. And so that was another kind of backdoor graduate school for me It's strictly in terms of dialogue and also just the way that people think and the way they process their thoughts um, in dialogue when they talk. It was really interesting. And like, I think give us, give us an example, like, like what specifically would be something you would type up? So like for a long time, I worked for um, entertainment journalists who did press junkets. So which when new movies come out, you know, they'll have the stars of the movie give like these endless they'll do rounds and rounds of press interviews. And um, so, and so that I would get these tapes in the mail, like, oh, here's Kate Blanchett or whoever doing, um, doing press. And so I'd have to do these interviews. And like, those were ridiculous because the questions are so disgusting and sycophantic. And like, you look so beautiful in this movie. It's like, is there a question? You know, or like um, another triumph for you. And it'd be like, you know, whatever, terrible movie. Uh, but, and, but, but it was really interesting. It's really, it's because you also like, you're learning not just about dialogue and the way that different, like, like right now, you know, 
you listen, like you can tell like the way that I talk is very discursive, right? I go around in circles and I double back and like, I, you know, there's parentheticals like, and that's the way I write too. But like other people speak really differently and it reflects things about character. And it's like, it also creates texture and fiction. Like, so you never want to have two characters in a scene that both talk in exactly the same rhythm, unless that's the point, you know? So I learned a lot from that basically. Um, well, and also about power dynamics. If you type up an interview between a, uh, you know, some 25 year old desperate entertainment journalist who's working for some, you know, junky news outlet and, <laughs> and you know, and Tom Cruise and you hear <laughs> the way that that person talks to Cruise and the way that Cruise talks back, it's really interesting. Like, so there was just a ton that I gleaned from that, which was really um, seeped into my sort of sense of how to write. That's so funny. Cause I, um, when I first moved to Chicago, my best friend who worked at like us weekly and life and style and OMG Yahoo. Yeah. And she worked for all these gossip, you know, places. Yeah. She got me a job, um, transcribing all the entertainment shows. And so I would oh. have to like, I would have to be like, and here's a clip where they're at this premiere. Here's a clip where they're visiting Ozzy Osbourne. And, <laughs> and I would have to transcribe what, what was happening. And it really is. I mean, and like celebrities aren't real people in the way that they act when there's a camera around is, is not real, but like, it, it's so true that there, there really is like nuggets in there are nuggets in there that, that, you know, form a whole, a whole world really, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. like you're it, talking about fun. the, yeah. the power dynamics and, um, yeah. And, and also just like, um, interestingly gross, you know, yep. like, yep. That's a good way to put it. That is interestingly gross. And so I, I part of my early development, I guess. Yes. Yes. Being interestingly gross. I, I can remember when I was trying to figure out how to write my first novel and like uh, what I wrote before that was like a really terrible novel that was like 60 pages of the same scene over and over again in grad school. And so I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I, and I, I had um, written this collection of flash fiction. So I was like, I, I know how to write a really short thing, but I don't know how to write a really long thing, but I loved this book Ravens um, by God. Now I forget his name. Ravens. He's the guy who created the moth uh, oh. storytelling show. Anyway. Um, and John so I would moth. like John moth That's Ravens by Richard moth. And um Hi, everyone. His name is George Dawes Green. The book is Ravens. Go read it. It's amazing. He so I would like check in and I'd be like, okay, so chapter one, he did this. And then chapter two, he did this. And then chapter three, he did this. And this is how and so I would literally just try to mimic that as I was writing and teach myself how to write this thing that I really admired. Um, so I think it's like, you know, it's a it's a good method. <laughs> it's a good method for writing a book. The fact is because there is no, it's it's just because the field is just, there, there is no specific way to do it. So any way to do it that works for you is a valid way to do it. Yes. Yeah, um, and, totally. I, and I think that that is an important thing for people to recognize that all, there's tons and tons of value in going to a program and learning specific from specific things from specific sort of coursework. But there's also a lot of value in just like having a go at it and reading a lot and thinking a lot and just trying and seeing what works for you. Absolutely. It's just a hard, it's, and which makes it a very hard thing to teach and a hard thing to learn. But, mm -hmm. um, but that's also what makes great novels great is that they reflect the very specific voice and process of one mind, mm -hmm. one specific mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so hard to say to someone who's maybe written some stories and, you know, wants to tackle a novel like, well, uh, 
my advice to you is make it longer, but it's yeah, really, right. it's really yeah, so right. true. It's like, just, you know, that thing you've been doing, do it a little bit more. And sure, uh, like, you know how many words you put in there? Just put, yeah. in, some, just put in some more words. You exactly. Just a little bit more uh, words and you're there. Yeah. <laughs> looking at your career, looking, you know, at your um, very, very enviable career. Oh. Um, well, but, but hearing how it started also, which was sort of just like saying yes to this odd thing and, and finding an opportunity there, you know, like how have you, cause someone who just reads your bio, it looks like this, it, it all makes so much sense. And it's all like, it's yeah. the ideal thing, you know, like these awards and this, the bestsellers and, you know, moving into film and television. Um, but I know that that's not how it felt in the moment. Like, how did you keep yourself going? More feels, you know? more feels, even more feels. Right. Right. You know, well, like all writers, of course, I feel like the whole thing is a, is a fraud and, and, you know, any moment now the jig will be up, you know, like, <laughs> that's that all of these accomplishments are in the rear view and that the future is, is dark and bleak. Um, but I'm laughing as I say that, because at this point I actually, I have, I have some equanimity. Um, it's funny, the awards specifically awards are interesting because the, it, one, you know, there is definitely a real pleasure and pride and like, oh, there's a people who are my peers who read a lot of books who really like this book. And that is a great thing. Yeah. Uh, and then also, but as in terms of cultural context, we are all always fooled by awards, you know, because mm -hmm. like you read someone's bio, even though you might never have heard of the award, you're like, oh, wow, I won an award. And like, <laughs> that's great. And like, I don't, it wasn't like I, I set out when I was a kid, like I want to win France's Grand Prix de l'Imaginaire. Like I don't Ooh, think look I at you. But as it turns out, it's a big deal if you're in France, you know. And they give it once right. a year to a book in translation. Like I won that. And I guess the specific confidence building value of winning awards is it's like it's cheesy, but it's like they can't take that away from you. If I'm struggling tomorrow with a blank page, which I know I will be, like. I can literally be like, I won an award. At some mm -hmm. point, I knew how to do this and well enough that it earned me this piece of recognition. And like, I don't know, that is, it's a tangible thing. Whereas so much of our feeling of confidence and our, our feeling of our ability to do this work has to be intangible. We have to keep fooling ourselves, right? Like that's, and that's part of the, the kind of psychodrama of being a, a writer, as you guys know, like it's this constant like, okay, I, I'm going to trick myself into thinking I'm good enough to do this for another hour. Let's see if I can make it till lunchtime, you know? Um, yeah. How do you keep yourself in it? How do you keep yourself going? Well, I don't know exactly, uh, honestly. Yeah. You, and every day is the thing of like, okay, I think, you know, there's all the little tricks, right? Like the little tricks are, um, it's eating the elephant one bite at a time. Like I, I don't sit down every day and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out the whole thing. It's like, I've given myself this specific task, right? I'm going to do this thing today. And I'm going to, and I, so I'm really big on making lists. I really hate the idea of just sitting down and being like, oh, I'm just going to write today. Like, no, I'm going to finish chapter six. I'm going to think about this character. I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to check some things off. I'm, I'm a big, I'm, that's my jam, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, that's one thing I do to keep the, the wolf of, of, of failure at bay, right? Like to, and I also think, I don't, I like the, the lists and checking things off more than word count fetishism. Cause I think some people are very, which works for them and great, but I'm not, 
I don't like to think about in terms of word counts because it's easy to be like, well, I wrote 500 words today. What a great day. But like, you know, in your heart that they weren't good words, you know? So it's better Why are that. you attacking me right now? No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm totally not. I also, by the way, even as I say that, like sometimes I totally do that. I'll be like, I usually do that. I do that more when I've already written a big, long, shitty draft. And I know that I have to go through it and fine tooth it and make it good. I'll be like, I'm going to cover a thousand words today, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean up a thousand words, I'm, or you know, like, um, so tasks, yeah. And I guess throughout my career, and it's, I sound, I, I feel weird. I feel like I'm lost in time, and I can't believe that I have a career. Like the idea of like a career sounds like I'm like 80. I'm like looking back on my career, <laughs> it is weird. So, but throughout my time, and I, I always have been working on more than one thing. Always, 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 mm. even when all oh, they were all like, I'm, I'm very, um, which just helps me in terms of getting through a writing day, because if I get really frustrated with the book, I will turn to, oh, I'm working on the short story or I'm brainstorming an idea. And now being doing, doing some TV stuff too, there's always like a project I'm trying to develop or something, just having different plates in the air or, or pots on the boil or whatever you want to call it it helps me to keep from the, the, the sense of the walls closing in or like, I'm just, I just have to quit now because I'm not getting anywhere. I'm banging my head against the wall. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to go, you know, check my email or whatever, or just leave, <laughs> leave the office for the day. So that really helps is I will turn from thing to thing and use pro- procrastinating on project A as a chance to get some work done on project B, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's always been, which also is probably why, well, I guess, I think it also has helped me to keep my career moving forward because especially in TV, things to, tend to, to die on the vine a lot, <laughs> which can be, you know, stress, stressful. Mm-hmm. But so I'm always trying to like be like, well, what's the thing after this thing and the thing after this thing? Because you have to at a certain point sort of assume that these things aren't going to aren't going to take flight. Then I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, the last policeman trilogy, uh, because I was so uh, surprised to find out that those books also came out under quirk with quirk yep um because those are you know very well-known books super successful and um i just thought it was so cool that they also came out with you know the indie that you had started with and i was just curious if that was a, a situation where you guys were talking about potential projects as well, or if you approached them with that, or if you had opportunities to take it elsewhere. I just was curious because it seemed like, you know, that must've been a massive deal for an indie like that to have those books. And I don't know. I was just, I was, I was curious about that relationship. Yeah. Um, I, you can fact check me on it, but I think that the last policeman was the first just straight work of fiction that Quirk had published. Because oh, Quirk, wow. they, started i'm gonna get the dates all wrong but they they're relatively young still um and they had started publishing with the worst case scenario survival guide books um mm-hmm. oh no yeah. is that right david borgenicht who started quirk books wrote those books the worst case scenario books okay um and so then they built the company you know that was sort of the flagship series for them and that's actually how i started working for quirk i did a bunch of like on on uh, what's the word on contract you know i did a bunch of work on that series and they built the, and built the company around that. Someone will check me on all this history. But then they had Pride and Prejudice and my books and that the mashup series. And those were a huge deal. And they're like, okay. And then I did. I, now wait a second. I can't remember exactly. But definitely, if it wasn't the first, it was one of the first. Or mine were some of the first fiction they published. And I did. I went to them and I said, here's an idea I have for a mystery novel. 
which I had always wanted to do, but I knew that they weren't just going to publish a straight mystery novel. So that's where the sort of big, crazy premise of it came in, right? I was like, if Quirk is going to do a detective novel, it's going to have to have some kind of, in the way of the mashup books, it's going to have to have some sort of interesting twist or spin. And so that's how I came up with this idea of The Last Policeman, where, you know, the world's about to end, but this guy's solving murders anyway. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. You could sort of visualize the poster of it, you know? Mm and yeah, they were, they did well. And, you know, the first one won an Edgar Award. It was like all of a sudden, it, it, I'm proud to say it was something sort of new for them and exciting. And then, they, you know, then they published the Ransom Riggs, the, um, the uh, oh, what's it called? The Peculiar Children. Um, oh, yeah. That was, that was short. That was like the year after or a year and a half after. And those books are even, you know, much, much bigger. Those are huge. Um, so it was sort of a pivot. And, but I'm very proud, like Jason Rakulik, who had done, he was the, publisher there at the time he's not with the company anymore but he had solicited me to do sea monsters and then he was the one who heard my idea for last policeman who was like great let's do a trilogy and i was like that was the fantastic i love that idea (laughs) it was another really kind of wonderful moment um and like i said before i think it was in writing those books that i sort of figured out who i want to be as a writer like the kind of work i want to do which is to do genre fiction and kind of really you know thrillers or you know in the sense of like page turners and plot driven fiction but which has something going on under the surface and you know in terms of the last policeman like those books are really about you know the contemplation of mortality they're quite existential um and then from there <clears throat> when i went to not with cork anymore but with um underground airlines it was like okay i'm gonna write a a, a thriller a spy book um a few, you know, it's a, it's a fugitive novel, but it's it's going to be about, you know, racism and slavery. It's going to be about this heavy thing, but I wanted to do it in a way that um, felt propulsive and interesting. So it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, all, you know, all, it had all this thematic stuff going on, but it was still a, a genre novel. I love how you say that, like, that's all really hard to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm going to write this like really cool propulsive novel, but it's going to be thematic and it's going to have all these really tough themes in it. And it's still going to be really entertaining and fun. And it's yeah, like, right. that was really I would, I'm I just would have, that yeah. yeah, I would have that thought like after two cups of coffee in the morning. And then by four o'clock that day, I'd be like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I mean, you were just like, here's... this is what I'm going to do. I think one of the things one of the things that you're always trying to do as a writer is like give yourself this high bar so totally that's i make it that makes it sound like it was like oh i'll just i'll just do this but i think it was like this is the goal this is my ambition and with that novel with underground airlines in particular i think i recognized it was a little bit of a um it was a reach right it was a it was a high um a difficult thing to do, but then you just sort of have to, you set that marker for yourself. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking do this. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, succeed or fail, you're, you're reaching for the stars, right? Like that's what, and in the quiet boy, I think was similar in the sense that I knew I wanted it to be a, it was going to have to be a long, complicated novel. It was the first novel I'd done that had multiple points of view, multiple point of view characters. It had two timelines. It had all this stuff going on that I hadn't attempted before. And it's like, if I am lucky enough to be in this position now where I can pitch a book, like I'm just going to fucking go for it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and see what happens. And maybe that's dumb. And there have definitely been times when I'm like, I should just figure out like a series character and just write like 50 of those and then retire. You know, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Although I know, I, why don't like, I do that? God, I know. you know what? It's harder than it sounds. Cause I'd no, say that, I know. Joke, but then you're like the guys who do that. Uh, and the, you know, I shouldn't say the guys, the men and women who do that, like 
because obviously some of the best of those, like the uh, Sue Grafton novels, you know, the A is for mm. Alabama, that series, like, um, but there, that's, it's, a, it's a subtle, tricky thing to do, to come up with a character that is, uh, has a specific thing and that is relatable and interesting that we want to watch, but then each adventure is specific. That's hard, man. So I say I could do that instead, but I couldn't. I probably couldn't do that. <laughs> so I have to keep coming up with, it's like the difference between being like, um, you know, like Elvis Costello does something different on every album, more or less, you know? And like, and that's probably like, it probably shakes off some fans every album, but he's, I think he's also getting new fans with every album. Like, I like that. I like that model mm-hmm. of being an artist of like, yeah. I'm just going to set myself some high bar. I'm going to try something new and different. It'll be recognizably me, but some people who were into Last Policeman might not dig The Quiet Boy. They might be like, well, this isn't really a crime novel per se. So I'm not really that into it. But there might be other people who are like, oh, this is interesting. This is about like, this is about a family. And this is about like a medical mystery. I'm, I'm down for this one. And so hopefully slowly but surely you, you kind of build your, your caravan, you know? What's it like um, putting out those two types of books? Like putting out The Quiet Boy, which you said is sort of your first foray into writing about being a parent versus these other books that, you know, weren't as personal. Does it feel different putting a book out like that? Were you a little bit more worried or scared or excited? I mean, I, to be yeah, no, I think the, the the experience of having a novel come out into the world is always more or less the same, which is this weird combination of like, you're so excited and so nervous, but at the mm-hmm. same time, the way that publishing works and the way that the culture of books is received into the culture is so anticlimactic mm. that, it, that you have to be like, oh yeah, well, it's Tuesday. The book came out. Oh my uh, God, okay. that is you so know, true. It, it is, right? And like, have you guys heard this before? The people call it the period before a book comes out is the calm before the calm. Yes. <laughs> You're waiting for the nothing to happen. So, but, I think it was Stephanie Harmon who said that. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts because unfortunately we don't live in a world where novels have have that kind of like cultural cachet where it's like, oh my, even, you know, unless it's like, you know, Franzen comes around like a comet every six years. And it's like, oh boy, you know, everyone's going to be mad at Franzen, but also everyone's going to be afraid <laughs> to read it. It's like, ooh, it's a big event. You know, it's like, it's in the culture just a little bit. Um, but like, so this book, I was a little bit protective of it and a little bit nervous about it because it does have that, the, those family relationships. It does have a, more of me in it in that way, like I said. But at the same time, it's always kind of, you're always kind of scared and excited. And you're always just like, well, what, what kind of reviews are we going to get? Are we going to get reviewed? Like, who's going to buy this? You know, um, so all that stuff is there uh, every time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I have learned a little bit not to be, get your hopes up too much. That's going to make this huge splash. You have to be really, the stars really have to align to make that kind of splash in this day and age. And unfortunately it often people talk about a book because you've done something people find inappropriate or offensive or that, or that there's some, you know, controversy attached to it. And then people talk about it for, for people that, and, or it takes time. There's a word of mouth thing, but so the, you know, and it takes a couple of months that it gets to be buzzy, you know, um, this book, I honestly, I, I feel like it's the best thing I've written. I feel like it has a lot to say. I'm, I hopefully people are still discovering it. You know, it's just you just never know. You launch that ship and and it off it goes. You know. <laughs> yeah, I've I've just <laughs> sort of um, told myself that I that it's just about the making. Like that's yeah. the main. As I just want to keep making, and then if I can it, just it do that, like Lindsay, it's it, it's like you we have chosen this avocation or whatever you want to call it, where it's like, you, you can't do it 
because you think it's going to make a fortune. You right. can't sit down no. and write a book unless you are truly insane or unless you're <laughs> him. you know, unless you've gotten to a point where your name itself is a guarantor of success, which there are really honestly precious few writers who, who can say that, you know, um, you really have to do it because you have this thing that you believe in and, and you want to see created and, and hope for the best. But also, honestly, like, it, I almost said between you and me, like, I understand this is a podcast, but like, honestly, like, <laughs> the, the reason that one of the reasons that I have gotten into the TV writing, it, and I do enjoy it, it's really cool and interesting also, but is there is our culture rewards this that genre or that I shouldn't say that that medium more than it does mm-hmm. publishing. Oh you know? God, I mean, like, yeah. To be able when to you do- say rewards, you mean money, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean money. I mean, it, it is it is a more consistently remunerated profession mm-hmm. um, because the demand for it is much higher and because the infrastructure is there. Um, and also, so that's A and B is the the television world respects novelists. It's that old thing of like Fitzgerald and Hemingway or whoever came out here and was like, "There's a you can make a mint, you know, like if you just conjure <laughs> yourself by writing for the pictures, you know, <laughs> like, it, I have found that. And it's still that way, Ben. It is. I mean, to a certain extent it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. They like when I say they, I mean like this sort of giant maw of, of executives and, and studios. Like there is a cachet that comes with being a writer, some of which is, is BS, but some of which is not like they know that you can finish something. They know you have a point of view. Mm. Um, but also I'm, I, you know, in our world, I'm writing novels and stories. In their world, I am generating IP. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, I, it is good to be able to go into a meeting in Hollywood and be like, oh, I'm working on a book. Oh, what's it about? You know, so it's, it's like, it, it, it there's a kind of, um, the two things cross pollinate each other is all I'm saying. Like when I am working on a book, I can also be thinking about where could this end up? theoretically, who, who might want to develop this for a limited series or whatever it is. And you try not to be like, well, that's why I'm writing it. You're still writing it. Like you said, Lindsay, you're writing it to be its own thing. And also you have to be insane to assume that it's going to get optioned because that is still a difficult thing to pull off, but it does, it creates a sort of whole that, you know, that my, my career, my work as a writer, there's, there's just more of a chance year to year that I'll be able to keep pulling this off in terms of supporting a family, you know, along with my partner, like, it's, you know, supporting a family and all that, because TV does, it's, it's, it, it, they, they're more willing to pay for ideas, unfortunately, than publishing is, you know, although again, I've been lucky um, over the years, and, and I, I get to keep publishing books so far. <laughs> if Look, all things I- were... I'll put ads in my book. Okay. I don't care. You should. You should try that. It's time. I think it's time. Yeah, totally. Or like, you know, okay, suddenly there's like a page long uh, paragraph about like ivory soap. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. I'll do a whole chapter on skincare. I don't give a I shit. Understand. Okay. I can make it work. That was the definitely a fly. That's with diet Dr. Pepper. It doesn't make yeah, any exactly. sense. <laughs> if all things were equal, Ben, at this point, having, you know, worked in a variety of different mediums, if, if the pay was the same, if you're able to support your family on any one of them, would you have a strong preference at this point? Or is it more that when you have an idea for a project in, in whatever medium it is, that's kind of what you're gravitating to at the moment? No, I like books. Mm. I really do. I mean, I like I said, TV is really interesting. And it's not like we're talking about 60 years ago where writing for TV would mean, oh, I'm doing a, a murder she wrote or whatever, you know, right. it's like, there's so much that is interesting about oh, television God, yeah. now. and so many shows where I watch and like, this is essentially a novel in its, in its like kind of emotional reach and its thematic interests and all that stuff. But 
having said all that, I think <clears throat> my favorite thing to do when I sit down in my chair here is write, is work on the book, whatever the book is at that time, because it is, it's this sort of, it's the thing of like, you're climbing the rock face by yourself, you know? And like, that is, it's so exciting and interesting to be like, what am I going to do next? And, you know, I don't know if other writers experience this, but every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, I, I don't know what to do with this moment or like this plot point is killing me. I should call my friend, you know, X and see what he thinks or what she thinks. What would she do? And like, but no, you can't really do that, right? No. I don't. Maybe people do. But it's like the, the idea that you have to just keep turning back to yourself and, and thinking it through and thinking it through and figuring it out on your own is that's kind of thrilling. And it's a gift, you know, that I get to have a career that allows me to do that. Um, whereas with television, generally the, the medium is extremely collaborative for better or for ill, you know, as soon as you put an idea out into the world, you're in development. If you're lucky enough to get a producer interested in, in it, then there is immediately going to be feedback and shaping. And then the studio is going to have notes. And then the network, if you're lucky enough to sell it to a network, there's going to be notes and notes. And then there's going to be a writer's room and all that, which is great. And I'm, I think I'm good at it. Like I like that collaboration. I, I like taking notes. I like being given ideas. All that stuff is great but it's a lot different, you know? Mm -hmm. So what ends up, the stories end up, you can do stuff that might be equally interesting to a novel, but the process is a little less emotionally um, satisfying or intellectually or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. it. It thrills me a little bit less. Yeah. But having said that, I hope I get to keep doing it. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Yeah. Both of us. Ben, it's been uh, so much fun having you on. So much fun. I, I, wow, God, I fucking fumbled that one. Let's go back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lindsay, do not edit that out. Keep all this in. I'm Who going to. The this? Who's the, uh, oh, Lindsay, am, come on. The brains, <laughs> the brains, the brains. Not the <laughs> fucking idiot over here. Uh, <laughs> ben, it's been great having you on. Uh, thank you so much. We uh, We were having so much fun before the episode started, just like, talking about like my god ben is one of like the most interesting <laughs> careers and just mm -hmm. really all of these books are so fascinating it's been uh i appreciate you being so open with us about kind of your whole journey to this point oh it's my pleasure i you know one thing i think you will find and i'm sure you have is that everybody loves to talk about themselves and, and uh, I will take every opportunity. And actually, wait, can I give, that's my favorite writing tip that I, I usually give. Yes, give it. I really love to research. I'm a big believer in research. I think it is a, first of all, really fun and interesting. And also it's going to make your book better, whether you know it or not. So if you ever have anything, if you have a scene set on a sailboat, find somebody who knows how to sail and call them. Like I'm really into that. And what I have found is that you might think that people will be reluctant to take a half an hour out of their busy day to talk to you if you're just some random writer calling them, but no, they are not. Everybody loves to talk about themselves. And if you give them that moment, <laughs> if you like, I, I, you know, my joke is, but in The Last Policeman, in, the, in that first book in the trilogy, there's a whole subplot involving um, life insurance. And like, I found this guy who was just, that's what he does. He under, now he wasn't even a salesman. He was the guy who does the charts. You know, he's an actuarial guy. And like, he was so happy. Like, I was like, I'm a writer. I'm writing a book. Can you tell me about this thing that you have spent your whole life understanding and focusing on? And no one is, you know, like, of course he was, he was delighted. And like that enriched the work. So like always just make that call. It's totally worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I know one thing that's changed. Oh, you've Jesus. done, you've done some Peloton rides. Oh my God. Yeah, I have. Okay. Who's your fave? I've only done two. <laughs> 
No, three. I've done three. I've done three. Well, I mean, I'll just tell the embarrassing story on here because why not? It's, it's, it's great. So my wife, Britt was doing a bunch of them and she's like, all right, come on, you gotta, you gotta do this. And uh, so I get down there and (laughs) I don't know what the fuck's going on. I have no patience. So I like, (laughs) I'm standing there and I like, all right, I think this is right. I think the chair is right. Okay, great. It's a chair. That's what you call it. And the saddle, uh, you fixed the saddle. Yeah, that's right. So I'm in there and I'm getting to the point where you're just going to pick your class. And I'm like, I don't fucking know. I don't know. (laughs) So I just, you know, Wait, I look, for people who don't know, it's it's like real easy to find out. No, no. Oh, OK. Yeah. No, okay. I'm not. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Forefront that. Yes. Easy. But I have no patience. I'm like, all right, that one. So I click it and it turns out it's in German and that doesn't deter me. I'm just like, <laughs> great, I'm going to do this. So I did this. It's like 10 minutes long. I'm like, fantastic 10 minutes i can do this which by the so, way also everyone you can put subtitles on but alex uh, didn't no, put the subtitles no, on no subtitles so it's over i'm like you know what 10 minutes i got more than me than that this is i'm i'm a fucking stallion i'll, I'll do another one so another <laughs> one pops up <laughs> i hit that also in german great whatever i'll just do this in german again i get upstairs i i tell brit all this she's like what the fuck is wrong with you? She's like, this, she's like, this is the most Alex dumbass thing I've ever heard. <laughs> she pulls up the account. I had done a warm up and a cool down in German <laughs> and was dying. I was drenched in sweat, like could barely walk. Looked like I, like, I don't know. I just played a football game or something terrible, but uh, she really got a kick out of that. So. Oh my God. You know what? If, if it helps for me to just be a jackass in front of my wife to help her like overall well being. I can do that. That's easy. I can do it every day. That's really big of you. And I'm, yeah. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> well, um, it sounds like it's not been a success. No, it's been fine. I did some ones in English, you know, understood the language. It was, you know, a nice transition. So it's all good. Ben just goes, at least it was cheap. <laughs> He's cracking up at his own joke. I, lo- I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Ben fucking bad uh, i um yeah, i broke my ass at the roller rink i oh, did you i oh when i took parker my son to his play date at a, at a roller rink um last week it was a week ago um i was so excited because i used to go all the time when i was a kid to fantastic skating rink in central florida and um so i was like okay like we're going to do this. And like Parker's never roller skated before he's gone ice skating, but never roller skated. And I haven't gone since I was like 12. So we both get out there and like, I'm getting more and more confident and I'm like letting him go off by himself with his friend. And then I see, I see in front of me that there's this little boy is like probably six, six years old. And he's just like throwing himself all over the rink, like just putting his all into it the way little kids can, you know, bust their ass and not get hurt and just get up and keep going. And then there's like this woman who's like kind of in her own head, just like dreamily skating. And like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go around him and like go between him and her. And just, you know, cause I can't do the maneuvers yet. I'm barely <laughs> like, I'm barely doing the basic moves. Well, they start getting closer and closer together. And like, God. I, I didn't know what to do. And like, but, and I was like, behind you behind you and then I just started going I'm sorry I'm sorry I knocked the little kid over and then I'm like grabbing at the woman's shawl like trying to (sighs) like 
get help myself not fall and she shakes me off and so oh, then my sick. feet <laughs> can you blame her she my gave you an feet... arm shiver just like she was bam. just like off get away from me my feet go out from under me i'm like horizontal for i mean part of me is still horizontal falling and then just crash to the floor on my ass immediately grab it like trying to check that it's still there because it hurt so bad the ref came out the ref people were falling all over the place yeah there's like some dude in a referee shirt and like people were falling all over the place and no one and he would never come out for them. He came out for me. That's how Who bad the fall hooligan was. Hooligan mom. I know. <laughs> That's how hard I fell and probably how middle-aged I looked. And like, I, like he just kind of stood there and was like, you okay. And I had to like God. hold my arm out so that he could help me up. And then he was like, oh yeah, I guess I should help you up. But it has hurt so bad ever since Did then. Did you break like, your tailbone? I don't know. I, I never went to the doctor to check it out, but like. Classic. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't have time for that. Okay. Oh, I, know. I have like I 20 minutes to myself a day. Um, so yeah. So I haven't been able to do all my, you know, my normal Pelotons, you know, oh, like damn. I can't do my core work that I've been doing. And I like, I just started doing glutes again yesterday. And when you, when you do your squats, you're supposed to squeeze your butt at the top. And that hurts so bad. I probably broke my tailbone. It's fucking broken. It's just broken. Snapped. It's like floating around in there, oh, but once it moves out of the way, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> once once you expel it from your body you'll be okay yeah yeah um oh it's slowly getting better but i i was just like stunned at how I used to fall like that all the time and it didn't matter and then you know suddenly you're like oh it matters now oh my god brutal that's mainly aside from this horrible surge and my kids school getting canceled oh, jesus christ yeah <clears throat> that's been the main news well, I saw you kind of vague post about some good news. Uh-huh. That's exciting. Vaguely. No, I can't. Yeah. Vaguely. I can't wait to um, talk about it. I don't know why I can't talk about it right now, but I am waiting. <laughs> I am waiting to hear when I can talk about it. And that, of course, then I'll, I'll be bragging about it on in every possible way. I mean, like in one way, I wanted to give you shit for vague posting, but I also just love you so much that I was excited you. for you. So I know that it was a really, it was that. like a really, really strong mixed emotion there. <laughs> I was like, I was like, God damn, fuck this. But also Lindsay rules. So, well, I've been waiting. I've known. No, oh, I know. Everyone knows I've known for so long, but I haven't no. been able to say anything. I've known for months and months and I haven't sure. been able to say anything. You've and like a long time. I really have. And so not like, a week like a tiny little bit of it happened this week. And so I just thought like, I'm, I've earned saying something vague. You're like, I'm fucking doing this. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like those kinds of things happen when, when my kids aren't around. Like, if you ever notice, like, wow, Lindsay tweeted like three times today. That's because I had like kidless time. She's fucking locked in the bathroom. Yeah. It's like mom's gone wild. Okay. Like exactly. So that's what was happening there. But yes, I'm excited to talk to everyone about it. Vague, 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 vague. <clears throat> what else? Yeah, I don't think I have anything good. I I, I don't know. I, I can't, I don't know. Yeah, it just feels like I've been having so many conversations about March 2020 recently that it's like, oh God. So I don't it's know. It's uncomfortably too close to that. Like, and it shouldn't yeah. be because it just no. shouldn't be. No, it's all. It's all madness. But it does feel like a big step backward right now. I just feel like we have to get through January. 
Mm-hmm. Just get yeah. through January. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's all I got. Yeah, that's it. As always, as always, I have very little. Yeah, we're just we're just getting by people, okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm reading um, Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller. This is the final book of hers that I'm reading because I've read all the oh. other ones. She's become a real favorite. That sounds so familiar. It's on Tin House. Okay. All her stuff is on Tin House. She's British. It's all like atmospheric, kind of creepy. Oh, cool. Um, oh, yeah. I recognize this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucked up interpersonal relationships sometimes. Like this one's kind of like a, almost like a thriller. Mm-hmm. With a very unreliable narrator. Also telling you a story about another unre- unreliable character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just love her love 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 her so um yeah i had a buddy send me uh the shirley hazard novel uh transit of venus <gasps> are you reading it right now yeah okay i, I read the great fire but i haven't read that one yet. love it okay I, I need to read it i read like the first 10 pages just like thinking like is this maybe the best thing i've ever read like it was that it was that good and uh i don't know so it's good to have friends out there who who sent it to you uh dan hornsby our buddy dan oh he's got the best taste yeah dan if dan recommends something online or sends you a book in the mail read it i i read the great fire like 20 years ago it must be okay and absolutely inhaled it and then i tried to read the transit of venus i feel like like right after one of my babies was born mm-hmm. and it's not a book you should you could get into like when you just need to yeah, like no. skim over the words no 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 yeah yeah <laughs> and no. so i've i haven't tried again but i know i just know that i'll love it i just need i need to get back to it yeah it feels i don't know it feels great to read uh something not brand new and yeah. I had never read Shirley Hazard, embarrassingly. Like yeah. I she's one of those names that you're just like you're always hoping to get to. But I yeah, this is the first thing I've read of hers. And uh yeah, it's staggering. Okay. I'm gonna put that on the old list. Oh, there you go. Do you actually have a list or do you just say I'm gonna put it on the list? My list is um like three uh eight inch stacks of books on my nightstand. <laughs> got it (laughs) and sometimes when i say put on the list i'll put it on hold at the library if you Mm -hmm. must know but i bought a bunch of books from um exile and bookville when i did like a guest bookseller event there a few weeks ago so i'm like making my way through those um and yeah such a great bookstore i bought all the tove ditlinson childhood youth Mm -hmm. and i've always wanted to read those i haven't though yeah, I read the first page of the first book and I'm like, I know I'm going to fucking love this. So I'm just saving those until I get through my Claire Fuller and I'm despondent to not have any more Claire Fuller and then I'll read that. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. We're happy to be back. Happy 2022. Happy 2022. More to come. More to Thanks come. Lots listening. of energy to come in 2022. Right. The usual peppiness. Yep. And optimism. Yep. yep. Bye. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop.